You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New developments in Lytton are giving residents hope someone is listening to their concerns. Two years after the wildfire that destroyed everything, not a single home has been rebuilt, as you saw last night in our coverage. Now, Alyssa Thibault reports on the cultural considerations and lack of communication that are slowing things down. More than two years after most of the village was destroyed by fire, work on the site in Lytton has been complicated by the discovery of First Nations artefacts and remains, dating back generations. Well, an unprecedented amount of artefacts have been found through this process. Uh, approximately 25% of them have been recovered and 75% of them have been left in place. The company doing the archaeological work is the focus of residents' anger. AEW is owned by the Imlikapnik Nation Tribal Council and residents say they've been kept in the dark about what's been found. If you had to not build a house there again, you would want to know, like, do you want to build your house on a graveyard? Probably not. In addition, residents have also been told that further archaeological monitoring will be needed if they want to dig on their own properties. Nikiwiston says she was told she'd need to pay $16,000. I asked them why and they said because there might be artifacts and stuff like that. Any artifact that's under my lot is mine. Global News has also been shown a resident's quote showing work would cost more than $6,000 a day, prompting chants like this. When Global News raised questions about why AEW was not engaging with residents, the company admitted it could improve communication. We do do a newsletter every quarter, but perhaps we could um, develop better communication tools to, to reach out to the residents. I, I agree. That's a good idea. And on the issue of exorbitant costs related to a rebuild... We are willing to work with residents to, um, you know, figure out a way to reduce costs. Um, and because we, we don't want that to be the reason that, that they can't rebuild their home. The province says it won't intervene. The terms of the archaeological work uh, are something that has been negotiated between the village and the, uh, and the firm. The opposition says it needs to step up. It is up to government to be clear about what those processes are, how they work and what people can expect. With the cold weather coming, it's likely any rebuilding of Lytton won't start until the spring. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. North Vancouver RCMP are asking for the public's help in tracking down a hit-and-run driver. It was at the intersection of Marine Drive and Capilano Road that a pedestrian, a man in his 40s, was struck late Wednesday night. A passenger found the man lying on the road with serious injuries. The driver sped off, leaving behind parts of the vehicle. Police want to speak with witnesses or anyone who might have dash cam or surveillance video of the incident. So we're looking for a vehicle that has a front end damage. Uh, that's the debris that was left uh, at the scene of an accident that was collected. And so and anyone who has seen or saw a vehicle leaving the scene of an accident around 9.20 p.m. with front end damage uh, is asked to call the police. The man who was struck is still in hospital. A new Westminster mother brutally murdered in an alleged case of domestic violence could be a catalyst for change in the lives of others who are also suffering abuse. Friends of Kulwanth Kaur say they had no idea what was going on behind closed doors. And as Krista Dow reports, they're urging others in similar circumstances to ask for help. We just want Kulwanth to be remembered for who she was. And that was 
a loving mom. People failed her, right? It feels like we, we failed her. Feelings of pain and regret are palpable here, as loved ones of Kulwant Corps only wish they could have done more. If you ever met her, you would never know that this is actually happening in her home. She always had a smile, she was always happy. Below the surface, the 46-year-old mother suffered in silence. Police say last Friday, Cora was stabbed to death in an alleged domestic incident in New Westminster. Her 57-year-old husband, Balbir Singh, has been charged with second-degree murder. Court documents reveal Singh was convicted of uttering threats of death or bodily harm. Being a victim is really tough, but people that know that somebody is being victimized they should also re reach out on their behalf and try to be their strength. Cor and her son joined Singh in Canada four years ago in search of a better life. Advocates against domestic violence say newcomers face significant barriers in getting help. It's important to be there and let that person know that you are a safe person. You are somebody that's willing to help them find resources. The Sangha's priority now, supporting Cor's child. He is loved. He is, he is thought about every single day. He's now in the care of the Ministry of Children and Family Development. The family desperately trying to bring him to their home to provide him with a safe and loving environment. We're trying our best to, to get him back and, uh, and support him. That is our message to MCFD, that we will do anything for this child. A community mourning the loss of a mother but trying to provide sanctuary for a young child whose life has been forever altered. He needs to come home and home is here. Home is in this community. Krista Dow, Global News. Volunteers were out again today looking for a missing Prince George woman. 29-year-old Chelsea Anita Kwa Heron has been missing since October 10th, last seen on the Sekou's First Nation Reserve. Friends and family say it's out of character for her to be out of contact. Searchers today split into groups to talk to people and hand out posters. And I just hope that people just know that, just know that how much I love her. And if people know like what happened to her, so that she can come back home. Chelsea is 29 years old, 5 foot 10 and 120 pounds. She might be wearing a purple winter jacket and jeans. As respiratory illness season ramps up, BC Children's Hospital is giving parents some advice, hoping to take the pressure off already busy emergency staff. Aaron MacArthur reports on what you should consider when deciding whether or not to take a sick child directly to hospital. There we go. Hi. It's that time of year again. Cold and flu season. Like in previous years, a steady drip of patients at the emergency department at Children's Hospital. Staff reminding parents that not every sniffle is a full-blown emergency. And a mild fever um, or sniffles, cough and cold, are our body's normal response to viruses that we get exposed to. To illustrate the point, the hospital released some numbers from last year. Between October and December, more than 13,000 patients were seen in the ED. More than 4,700 or about a third of those could have been seen as non-urgent cases. There's options out there for parents for those less urgent things that they um, you know, can seek care for, especially for kids that have their vaccinations all up to date. 
The problem for too many parents is that there are no other good options. While pharmacies can treat common ailments, some don't have family doctors. Walk-in clinics are often at capacity, and the urgent care centers have long wait times too. In a broken healthcare system, parents don't always know where to go. Absolutely, people should have information about what they can expect and not expect when they uh, go to an emergency room. And that's the job of the health authority uh, to, to have that open communications with people in BC. But no one's saying that if your child's sick and they need to go to the emergency room, they've got to go to the emergency room. Children's Hospital has a web portal where parents can go to do self-triage. The ED is always open and kids will always be seen. But waiting could provide staff with the tools they need to treat actual emergencies. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Health officials on Vancouver Island are trying something different in an effort to save lives in the ongoing toxic drug crisis. So far this year, 300 people have died from overdoses in the island health region. But as Kylie Stanton reports, it's hoped new harm reduction vending machines will help turn things around. They can access supplies. They are discreetly packaged and can save lives. So things such as a wound care kit. Everything from condoms and drug strips to syringes and naloxone. Soon to be available at the touch of a button. Smart One has created a interface layer that allows the equivalent of a four-foot iPhone to be placed on the front of existing vending machine technology. Island Health is installing the Care and Connection kiosks outside the emergency departments at three hospitals on Vancouver Island, in Campbell River, Victoria, and here in Nanaimo. There was a lot of engagement with the sites to make sure that people both have the privacy and the anonymity that they need when they access some services that are really still very stigmatized in our society. The idea is to provide an alternative for people visiting emergency departments for harm reduction supplies and services. Not only a way of offering community members access to free life-saving supplies, but potentially helping to reduce wait times as well. I think any, any service where we can divert the non-emergency component of service to another place, but still connect people to care is overall actually likely to increase rather than decrease access. Beyond the supplies, there's also support. The kiosks contain information on substance use treatment, mental health supports and resources, complete with a map so that communities can now see what's available in their area. A full-time peer support or addiction and recovery worker will also be on hand to help guide people through the process. It's amazing, you know, and, and, it, and it's, a bit, it's a big step into uh, normalizing drug use. BC's health minister warns the service is not meant to replace emergent care. It's about uh, discreetly getting access to things that you would use uh, when you're not at the hospital. The plan is to monitor the service over the coming months, gauge the need and uptake before potentially expanding to other communities. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It might not be marked in your calendar, but it should be, and it's definitely in ours. One year from today, voters will be casting their ballots in the next provincial election. With one year to go, Richard Zussman takes a look at what the big issues are and how the parties will try to win your vote. They are the issues keeping David Eby up at night, a healthcare system under strain, a growing unaffordability crisis in a province with the most expensive housing in North America. 
for me, success over this year that I have before the next election and for our government is to have those, uh, those signposts along the way. The next election expected to be one year from now. Sitting down with Global News in a wide-ranging interview, the Premier establishing the standards he's attempting to meet. This is why, you know, I got into politics was the issue of housing in particular, but it's to make government work for people. And so when it's not working the way that it should, I find that very distressing. And although this legacy is inherited from John Horgan, it's one EB commits to fulfilling. There are promises still left to complete, a silver alert system, a ban on plastics and getting rid of Surrey portables. The toxic drug supply is still claiming lives and homeless encampments are still standing. And while voters know what issues frustrate them about the BC NDP, at least they know who the BC NDP are. The BC United has a giant brand crisis on its hands. We are going to make sure that uh, by the time the next election rolls around, people are going to know exactly what BC United stands for, that we're going to be fighting to reduce the cost of living. Falcon is fighting a battle on two fronts, attempting to challenge the current government while fending off an emerging threat from the Conservative Party of BC. Anybody who has common sense that is finding it tougher to get along day by day and watching their paycheck disappear is who we're courting. But a year is a long time in politics as voters start to hone in on whether issues like housing have actually been addressed. A lot of it is about impressions as much as about our data. Impressions, no doubt, frequently changing between now and the looming election. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this, including the results of a new poll. And Keith, it shows the BC NDP in a comfortable lead but there will be some mm -hmm. challenges in the weeks and months ahead. Indeed. So Angus Reid today, Angus Reid Institute, just the latest, I think there's about six polls now in a row in the space just a few months showing the same voting pattern. NDP tracking in the 40s, the, N the BC United and Conservatives splitting the alternative to the NDP. Terrible news for the opposition. Take a look at the numbers today. 43% decided to vote for the NDP. No real change from last year. BC United, though, hemorrhaging seven points down at 22%. As Richard just reported, a serious brand problem there. Conservatives coming on strong, up seven points in that time frame. The Greens basically unchanged at 12%. But here's where it gets really frustrating for the opposition. The NDP is doing great. But these are the top issues identified by voters. More than 40% of the voters saying these are the three most important issues. But look at the NDP's approval rating on the right-hand column there. Abysmally low. 16% approving how they're doing on cost of living. A better finding on 29% on health care. But again, just 13% give them good marks when it comes to solving the housing crisis. So the opposition's in a real box here. They've got a brand problem with BC United not being known to people and the NDP is acquitted a long rope from the voters who are saying we're still voting for you even though you're not doing a great job on the key issues we think are important which tells me they don't think the alternatives can do a better job on those key issues which means there's no vote transfer from the NDP over to the other parties unless that changes between now and the next election day and this pattern has been in place for a couple years now since the last election we're looking at a potential wipeout scenario election the NDP if an election were held today would Win, likely win in excess of 70 seats. That's how big the gap is between the two alternatives right now. We'll see if it lasts. All the parties have a year to figure it out. Thanks very much, Keith. But will they mm. find out? All right, <laughs> it is Variety Week here at Global BC, a great opportunity for you to have an impact on a young adult's life. That's right. Tonight, the story of Keegan, who has greatly benefited from support by Variety, 
We'll show you how later on the news hour. And when you donate to help young adults like Keegan, your name will join that list of donors, people like Pat Turner in Port Alberni. Also tonight, LeadCorp will be matching your donations up to $100,000. So tonight, if you haven't donated already, is a great night to call 310kids or go to variety.bc.ca. In the meantime, a Port Moody entrepreneur has a beef with City Council. They like his plan to redevelop the property where his drive through restaurant sits. 60 units of housing, including 25% below market rentals. But there's a catch that he can't quite swallow. That's next on the News Hour. Legendary drummer Rocket Norton gets the bands back together for a major cancer fundraiser. That's later on the news hour. Plus, I'm so happy my son and grandson are, are happy to do it too. The oldest continuously operating dairy farm in Canada. How the Leahy family keeps moving forward. Coming up on the news hour. Right now, though, Port Moody is one of the cities on the provincial government's naughty list for housing. Now, a proposed redevelopment that includes both strata and below-market rental units is running into opposition from council. Now, overall, council likes the plan, which ticks off a lot of boxes. But as Janet Brown reports, council has a beef with one part of the plan. Hi, I'd like a bacon and agar, please. It is somewhat of a landmark in Port Moody. Hi, how are you? This little A&W on St. John Street has been run by Roger Millad since 1998. But now he wants to build a new A&W on the lot and the one next door he purchased a few years ago. As well as 60 units of housing with a quarter below market, along with office space and amenities. That's going to be thousand times more beautiful, more efficient, and a lot of housing for people. But in preliminary discussions with council, there's been a pushback on the drive-through. I am surprised because there's already a drive-through. I can see if I was coming in and asking for a new drive-through permit, but I'm not. I still feel drive-through is very essential. You know, uh, look what happened in the pandemic. We fed so many people. If there wasn't for drive-throughs, I don't know what people would have done. City Councillor Kellen Morrison says he likes the overall project, the housing and the restaurant, but the drive-through is causing him concern in the face of the city's commitment to its climate action plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. As we grow and develop, drive-throughs are not necessarily going to be the way of the future. Um, as, when it comes to multifamily development and mixed-use buildings, it may not work. Is he willing to risk losing the entire project, especially the housing, if Millad refuses to withdraw the drive-through? I think that we can find a very happy middle ground. Meantime, the housing minister is urging Port Moody Council, in the midst of a housing crisis, to find a solution. It's easy to say no to housing. We've heard that in every single community. What we're trying to do is get to yes, and we're wanting to see communities try to find a way to get to yes. Millad says for now he is not giving up. I'm a patient guy. I, I don't have it. I'm not going anywhere. Please, yeah. <laughs> he says refinement of his proposal will continue before it returns to council for a more formal appraisal. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, stolen profits. It's a growing problem now because everything is so expensive. Mom and pop stores struggling to survive aggressive shoplifters.
and a wild ride to get you ready for when the big one hits. Good evening and good news over at the Portman Bridge. Cleared not one but two separate crashes, both at the west end. Traffic is in full-on recovery mode both ways. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. We've been hearing a lot from large retail chains about the impact of shoplifting, but now small businesses are speaking out as well, saying it hits them even harder. Yeah, and as Kristen Robinson shows us, some owners are putting their own safety at risk to stop these brazen thieves from walking out with their goods. Amid inflation, this is liquid gold. Benny's Market recently moved its maple syrup and honey closer to the counter, where staff have a better eye on shoplifters. If we see it, we do confront them. I don't passively stand by. The more than century-old family business has its regulars. What do you need, your mascarpone? But is seeing a slight uptick in theft with random grab-and-goes. Janet Benedetti's husband has chased thieves, and she once slapped someone who swiped cans of salmon. He gave me back the goods, but not before taking them out one by one and throwing them down the street. But I got them back and, and I never saw them again. East-West Market also taking matters into their own hands to recover stolen stock. I myself ran them down about 10 blocks with another employee. I decided to try out the seafood to slow stuff. David Lee Quen says shoplifting costs his two stores about $80,000 a year on top of theft from break-ins like this one in June. It's a growing problem now because everything is so expensive. Between January and the end of August, shoplifting reports in Vancouver were up 26% over the same time last year. And in 2022, VPD stats show shoplifting incidents increased 31% over the previous year. I think that we've got good processes in place and we're hitting it hard. The city's top cop says police are working with retailers to ensure Vancouver doesn't end up like Seattle or San Francisco where brazen thieves are walking into stores and stealing with impunity. And I hate to say, people could walk out with goods now at Walmart and they can't stop them. We should learn from it and do something about this before we get like them. But the big box store is also where we see a lot of the chronic offenders going and the repeat violent offenders who continually will go back and just steal and steal and steal. If you you know, steal from the smaller people. It hurts bigger than the big box stores. Benny's notes it's never said no to anyone who's come in hungry asking for food. So if you ask politely, that's different than stealing. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Students and staff at the University of the Fraser Valley got a hands-on experience of what it's like to go through an earthquake. The Motion Safe Quake Cottage Simulator is a realistic 30-second 8.0 magnitude ride. It was set up by the BC Earthquake Alliance along with interactive displays. The simulation is part of the 12th annual Great BC Shakeout Drill with more than 700,000 British Columbians practicing drop, cover and hold on this morning at 1019. And when they cover and hold on, the Quake Cottage gives you a sense of how important it will be to hold on firmly to a sturdy piece of furniture if you've got one available to ensure that you're covering your head, face and neck. You ready? 
The BC Earthquake Alliance is encouraging people to practice drills, whether it's at home, in the workplace, or in classrooms, and to keep an emergency kit with up to 13 days of supplies ready to go. Canada and India's relationship is on the rocks and yet another dramatic development in the ongoing diplomatic dispute involving the murder of BC activist Hardip Singh Nijjar on Canadian soil. Plus, it all happened so fast. How your donations to Variety are helping a young man and his family get the critical help they need. Good evening and some more good news. Cleared a police incident over at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Southbound at Midspan in the right lane, traffic is a little slow to recover from North Vancouver. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. Renew and renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in the AIA in the Global Traffic Centre. Checking the list of donors here on Variety Week. We want to thank David Forrest from Nanaimo. Maxine Morris from Golden. Thank you so much for supporting children across BC by donating to Variety. And a reminder, LedCorp is matching donations throughout tonight's news hour. So please call now, 310-KIDS. Well, more than 40 Canadian diplomats and their families have left India as tensions between the two countries remain high. Today's move is a reaction from the Indian government to Prime Minister Trudeau's allegation the Indian government was involved in the death of Suri's Hardeep Singh Nijjar. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says India told Ottawa it would remove diplomatic immunity for all but 21 Canadian diplomats and their dependents by Friday. That means 41 diplomats and their 42 dependents would be in danger of having their immunity stripped. The safety of Canadians and of our diplomats is always my top concern. Given the implications of India's actions on the safety of our diplomats, we have facilitated their safe departure from India. This means that our diplomats and their families have now left. Federal officials say lower staff levels in India will impact how quickly visas and permits can be issued. Now back to variety. It helps kids across B.C. who were born with debilitating conditions, but it also supports children and families whose lives get turned upside down by random traumatic events. And that happened to a young man named Keegan and his family. But as you'll see, variety is there to help pick up the pieces. I feel like I got most of my strength from Keegan because I just had to watch it. You know, I didn't have to go through those um, the tests and the surgeries, and I just had to be there at the end. 19-year-old Keegan needed all of the strength he could draw on just to survive. In 2017, he was diagnosed with lymphoma and underwent a barrage of cancer treatments. They worked, and before 2018 began, Keegan was declared cancer-free. Unfortunately, that would not be the end of his health challenges, and in 2020, Keegan suffered a severe brain bleed. It all happened so fast. We went to, you know, the ambulance to emerge. And they did um, like, a brain scan, like a CT scan. They actually had said, you know, he's probably not going to survive through the surgery. Keegan did survive. He had beaten the odds yet again. 
Now his traumatized body required even more help to properly recover. When provincially funded therapies were not enough, Variety, the children's charity, stepped in and helped Keegan with crucial physio and speech and language therapy grants. But problems arose when Keegan turned 18. He suddenly aged out of pediatric funding models and was forced to wait until he turned 19 to access more public programs, a critical gap for his family. It just seems like a, a big ball drop when you're 18 and that's a pretty important time. It can, I'm pretty sure it can change the, the course of the rest of your life. Once again, Variety stepped in where health care ended. Keegan received funding for a tutor so that he could realize his dream of post-secondary education and eventually of becoming a computer coder. Let's try here under the subtitle lane use. Since Keegan has aphasia, he needs help with uh, reading, speaking and writing. Uh, he has uh, challenges with language and comprehension. And not only that, we wanted to uh, look at him kind of going to the next level, going to college. Tutoring is great. I don't know how to like get there without tutoring. Okay, here we are. Variety is like one of the greatest thing that ever happened to me and my mom. That is incredible. And there are a lot more kids waiting to hear if they will get the critical supports they need with more requests coming in every day. That's why we're asking you to please donate to Variety. If you can, call now, 310-KIDS. That's 310-5437. Coming up, iconic BC bands prepare for a big fundraising concert. When Rocket asked us to come on board, we were just like, hell yeah. The legendary drummer battling terminal cancer, but still ready to rock. Plus, three generations of dairy farmers pick up where their ancestors left off. How hard work is really paying off for the Leahy family. All right, let's take a look at that list again. Johanna Woodward, thank you. Johanna from Parksville. Neil Trainer from Summerlin, thank you too. And all those names on the list, we want to thank LedCore as well for matching all of your donations. Barbara Edwards, West Vancouver, I see your $50. Thank you so much for giving it. We're halfway to our goal of helping 600 kids, so please donate to ensure that no child is left behind. All right, let's bring in Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather forecast. Christy? Well, it's a province-wide Pro-D day, so I know everyone's really excited about that forecast. And I'll have that for you, but I just want to quickly talk about that atmospheric rare, the first one of the season, and these are substantial totals. 267 millimeters on the west coast of Vancouver Island, 110 in West Vancouver, and it had a benefit. Yes, today the drought levels drop. So across the west coast, down to a level one. The rest of the south coast, down to a level three. We had an improvement in terms of the drought in the Thompson, the Columbia region as well. And I know a lot a lot of people have been tweeting me asking me why are we calling these atmospheric rivers they're good old rainstorms yes i get it it just allows us to give you a better description of the impact of the storm this one ended up being classified as an ar2 mostly beneficial and that's exactly what we saw there were some hazards we had rise in the river levels and things uh, we had a flood watch in effect for a portion of the day yesterday for the west coast that now has ended but we still have high stream flow advisories for parts of the south coast the thompson and the columbia 
Columbia region, but we've got drier weather on the way just in time for our Pro D Day, everyone. So here's a look. We're expecting sunshine in the mix tomorrow. We certainly are expecting cloud cover across southern regions. We're not totally in the clear, but you'll see some sunshine. And for the lower mainland, particularly uh, the Fraser Valley region, northeast metro Vancouver, slight chance of a shower in the early morning hours. But otherwise, a mix of sun and cloud, mostly dry on Saturday with overcast skies. And we do have some showers in the mix on Sunday, but I think we'll see some bright patches towards the end of the day also. All right, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from the beautiful Caribou region. This is Huff Lake north of Canloops. Thank you to Murray for sharing that shot with the beautiful fall colors, calm lake there and the blue sky. He said, yeah, you guys are talking about an atmospheric error. We're not getting that. You pretty, pretty lucky there. Oh, sure. <laughs> showing off, showing off the beauty. Yeah. Thanks for that, Christy. It's great. All right. Squire joins us now. Um, and a lot of people are drumming up support for a big F Cancer concert going on this weekend, Squire. Very good. Yes. Uh, all gathering around legendary drummer Rocket Norton, who told me that this year they're going to raise money for Profile, which is uh, a group that helps fight cancer in children. But he did this last year. It was so successful. He and his friends are going to do it again. When you watch Rocket Norton play drums, you can easily forget what's going on inside of him. It's the oddest thing because that I am dying of cancer. I have stage four metastasized cancer, colon cancer that's metastasized into my lungs. But I feel great. Great enough that he's arranged another F Cancer concert this Saturday at the Centre for the Performing Arts, featuring a who's who of Canadian musicians. Um, when Rocket asked us to come on board, we were just like, hell yeah, <laughs> of course we will do it. Rocket was a hero. I'm a drummer. I got to watch him in Seeds of Time in a Rocket Norton band and then Prism. I replaced him in Prism later and always looked up to him. Rocket has been on the scene. He was on the scene already when I got here in 1969. I mean, the Seas were one of the first bands I ever saw. We all love Rocket, and we, we just admire and respect his, his courage and his vision and uh, uh, the amount of work that he's put into, into this, considering everything else that he's going through. Before the first F Cancer show last year, Rocket changed his treatments to a more holistic approach for a personal reason. I'm 73 years old. I've had a big life. Um, if I was 23 years old, I'd be fighting this thing with, with chemo and radiation and all the other. I had surgeries, I had all this stuff. But I've decided at this time in my life, I want to live every day as healthy as I can and as strong as I can. And I can't do that with the treatments. And after raising $344,000 to fight cancer last year, Rocket found out his tumors had shrunk. And I know what it was. It was the power of music, the power of love. And I wrote uh, an email to every single musician that played in the show, and I said, this is what's happened to me, thank you. And then they're all, they're all back, plus more this year.
What Music you saw there amazing. were some members of PRISM and some friends that they've gathered around them as well. So. Lee Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Wow. the metal queen. Lover boy. I think uh, Bill Henderson was there today, I think. He was working out for it. So Colin James. It's a lot of big names. There's so many great musicians from around here, and they're all gathering. Mm -hmm. So good to, to see that kind of support for Rocket, too. He's a great character, and obviously, no stopping him. Thank you for that, Squire. And you have sports coming up as well. Uh, the Canucks game in Tampa Bay has just finished, and we'll, uh, we'll give you all the highlights of that one. All right. Thank you, Squire. Also tonight, the cream rises to the top at the Lady Dairy Farm. How this family operation has survived more than a century in business. All right. What's the latest on the Canucks saga these days? Well, we're back to square after four games, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so after getting shocked in Philadelphia, the Canucks had to deal with lightning tonight. Did you see what I did there? Oh, yeah, I saw what you did okay, there. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Shouldn't have had to point it out, but I just thought I'd put it in there. Uh, they're playing Tampa Bay, game three of the five-game road trip. The uh, Lightning had lost three straight coming into this game, but they always seemed to play well against the Canucks, who had new defenseman Mark Friedman, Mark Friedman in the lineup. And... Uh, they, Played 14, almost 15 minutes, 14.49. Nice save by uh, Thatcher Demko there off Nikita Kucherov. Of course, Demko had a huge game in Philadelphia, but absolutely no help. First goal of the game for Tampa's on the power play. Terrible giveaway by Tyler Myers. If you're going to do a pass like this, you should gift wrap it and put a bow on it. Man, that's awful. Anyway, Nicholas Paul gets the power play goal. It's 1-0. But a good start to the second period for Vancouver. This is a bad pass here by Sergachev. Stolen by JT Miller right out in front. Besser's fifth of the year. Remember, he had the four-goal night to start the season. So that made it 1-1. That was only 14 seconds into the second period. Then, okay, Tyler Myers makes up for that egregious mistake in the first period by scoring here. Pass from Elias Pettersson. Myers walks right in. The one thing the big man has is a big shot. When he lets it go... He can sometimes score, and he scores there to make it 2-1. Then Friedman. Mark Friedman decides to take on Tanner Janot. A bit of a step up in weight class. Maybe not a good idea, but brave. All right. Michael Essamont ties it, 2-2, in the second period. And then shortly after that goal, Kucherov gets one that I don't think Demko even saw. So that makes it 3-2. To, to the third period, another Tampa power play. Tyler Myers now bowls a couple of people over, including Elias Pedersen. And this allows an easy one for Kucherov. JT Miller would score late, but 4-3 is the final. The Canucks now head down to Miami to take on the Panthers. Hey, the first time Rick Talkett coached the Canucks, they were wearing the old black skate jerseys. And they've announced they'll wear those 15 times at home this year starting with the game against Nashville on Halloween, which seems very appropriate. They'll also wear the 90s look when the Leafs visit and when Connor Bedard comes here with Chicago on January 22nd. So uh, after starting the season with a couple of wins on the road, the Abbotsford Canucks are home with a good mix of veterans and younger Canuck prospects, and they'll play their first home game tomorrow in Abbotsford against Calgary. 6,000 tickets have already been sold, which means there are about 900 still available. It's a great atmosphere. It's a great, great rink to play in. Uh, you feel the energy. I think we feed off it, uh, kind of build momentum. 
um, you know, over a period of shifts. And I think uh, the building and, and how much people care in this community about the team is uh, something we really appreciate. Yeah, it's amazing. We're more than thankful. I think uh, there's a lot of voices on this team that speak about the community and the atmosphere in those games, and it makes uh, playing in the minors that much better. You know, I've played in, in some cities where there's not a whole lot of fans, and it really feels like a minor league game with us. There's fans that are uh, passionate, knowledgeable, and, um, you know, anytime you see a regular season game packed, it's, uh, you're pretty lucky if you're in the American League and that's happening. How about a little bit of playoff baseball? The uh, Phillies won the first two games against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but now they are in Phoenix. And Marte with the uh, heroic walk-off single, and it's 2-1 for the D-backs. They now trail the best of seven, two games to one. There you go. It can happen fast. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Well, we have been milking the puns all evening, so why stop now? Up next, a story that'll really move you about a family of dairy farmers. Stay with us. That's a good one. <laughs> this is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. All your local news... All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. Well, for seven generations, the Leahy family has been operating a dairy farm in Maple Ridge. It just might be the oldest one still operating in Western Canada. They started back in the 1800s, and Jay Durant shows us more of the family's attachment to the land and the animals in This Is B.C. We started the farm here in 1879 with my great-great-grandpa. Now much bigger and, of course, completely modernized, the Leites have been operating on the same Maple Ridge property for the last 144 years. As far as we know, Western Canada's oldest continually operating dairy farm. At 79 years of age, Paul Leite still puts in a good shift. We got manure to take out, cows to milk, and feed to bring in. Something he's done ever since he was a boy. The family legacy now runs seven generations, all following in the footsteps of those hardworking farmers that came before. A lot of good family stories, a lot of, um, a lot of shared history, and I, I, I feel honoured to be a part of that and to continue that. It's a new era that comes with a few benefits. It suits me much better. The robotic milking stall frees up some time. I don't miss milking the cows at all. I get to sleep in and decide when to wake up, and the cows get to do the same. Making up for some of those hectic moments over the years. The neighbors used to farm here, and we, we share a bridge, and we let both of our herds hit the bridge at the same time, and I tried to sort them as they came over, and it was literally close to 200 cows we had to sort. But some things will never change over time. We can try the old-fashioned cow call. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> I'm the most exciting thing that's happened. It's pretty quiet out here most of the time. There's a real connection to this farmland, generation after generation in these fields, and a lifestyle that has always been the Leite way. It's just the freedom of being your own boss. I can hand it down, and I'm so happy my son and grandson are, are happy to do it too. It's good work, it's, it, it feels good to the soul. I had the best childhood growing up here, and I really hope to give that to my kids and to see my grandkids live that out. 
Uh, I hope to see another seven generations after me. Jay Durant, Global News. Think about that the next time you have a big glass of milk. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell and you want to share it with us and the rest of the province, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I love how they call the cows. Yeah. Come on, come on, come on. It's universal, apparently. Seems to work. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to thank all of you who've made a donation tonight. And big thanks to LedCore, who've matched donations during tonight's news hour. That's right. Uh, right now, Variety will be able to help 354 kids. Thank you for your donations. Variety's goal is to help 600 kids this week. Because the need is so great and it continues to grow. So please call 310 Kids and donate now. And I know we can get there. We'll get there. We always do. BC viewers always deliver. That's right. All right. Uh, and Christy's going to deliver some sunshine for us. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice for everyone because it's a province-wide Pro D Day tomorrow. So the kids will be able to get outside a lot easier on the parents, I'll tell you that. So we do have a few morning showers in the forecast, but overall a mix of sun and cloud. Keep in mind there will be still some cloud cover, but uh, not a bad Friday for everyone. Sounds great. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Hope you have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Good night, all.